Hi everyone, welcome back to Cup of Tea with Rick G. And today we've got Karen Lowen, who is a tax accountant and director from Turl & Co. And I don't know about you that are listening, I don't really get involved in tax that much myself. We actually pay someone to do it for us because it's always best to go to the professionals and make sure you do things absolutely the right way and do things properly. And of course, if you don't know about tax, then how do you know what you've got to pay and how much potentially that you're going to save in the future? So Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rick. It's a, it's a pleasure. Excellent. So we've got about 40 minutes or so to try and share your top tips and you know a few things that people really need to know about tax planning and accountancy. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about your background. So how did you get into accountancy? Well, I kind of fell into it, really. I did a number of years working for one of the big four banks, and then I worked for a finance company, and it was suggested to me that I should look at the world of accountancy. So I did. I did my training and absolutely loved it, and it's been my passion ever since then. So I've been now in practice on my own for about 18 years. Okay, 18 years is a long time. And how long did you have to train in order to become qualified? Well, I'm still training. <laughs> I think with, with taxation particularly, the training unfortunately never stops because as soon as you're on top of it, every year it changes again. Mm. So you have to be prepared that you are on a constant learning journey in order to, to stay fully informed. I think that's really sage advice. And I think it's the same pretty much in business in general, Karen, isn't it? And certainly in property investing, you've got Absolutely. to make sure that you're, you know, you're compliant, you stay on top of the game. You are very competitive because the more people enter the market, then you might have to sort of change your business model slightly. But certainly in property, we've seen a massive amount of legislation changes over the last 12 months, you know, and if you go back even further, five years, things are, you know, really different than they were five years ago. And I know that it's really hard starting your own business and a lot of people will relate to this and you're, well, for me, I was in my dining room. Um, that, was, that was my office. I was on the phone. I was hustling pretty much trying to make that first pound, trying to get the cash flow started from a standing start. And it wasn't easy. How did that look for you, Karen? How did you make your first pound? <laughs> well, actually, if, if you look at the first pound I made, you'd have to go back a very long way because I made my first pound when I was six. Wow. What did you do when you were six to make a pound? I was selling comics that I used to make myself and I sold them to, to friends in the playground. Awesome. And, I, and I loved it. I, I, I really liked the idea that I was making something and selling something on. And as it was just pens and paper, I, I was making quite a profit and I thought I liked this. So almost as soon as I'd, I'd done my banking, I went into business. So you had a bit of a head start. You were quite entrepreneurial at the age of six. And, you know, and it's really strange the amount of people that I, I interview for the show and people that I come across you know, in networking that started actually hustling really, really young. And I was one of them. I used to sell popcorn and I actually almost got suspended at school because I nearly took the tuck shop out of business because I remember on sports day, I was probably about 
11. And I went with my mum. And if my mum's listening to this, hi, mum, you'll remember this. And I went to the local, I think it was, what was it called? Quicksave at the time. And I bought all of the Panda Pops um, that they had, the whole shelf. And I bought all of the popping corn. And me and my mum stayed up all night making popcorn. And I took pre-orders from the kids at school. I had to pay me a deposit, which covered my costs and the uh, and the recipes that I needed. And I sold out the next day. And I think I made about 20 quid. And um, I almost got suspended for that. I mean, you'd think that schools would embrace that kind of thing, but they actually saw it as a threat. Anyway, I digress. So I think that's awesome, selling comics, then, you know, moving forwards into what you do now. So can yeah. you tell us what it is that you do now? And I've introduced you as a, a tax accountant, but you know, what is it specifically that you do to help people? Okay, well, Turl & Co is a modern accountancy practice, which I, I own. Um, it's based in Malvern, but we deal with clients throughout the UK. So we look after specifically small to medium businesses, and we specialize in micro and small companies, um, one-man bands and landlords. We have quite a growing selection of landlords that we look after. So we deal with all of the accountancy function, payroll, VAT, and also tax services and tax planning. So it's interesting, you've obviously said landlords, and you know there are predominantly a lot of landlords that do listen to the show. But what qualities do you think they should be looking for in a tax accountant? Because like anything in business, there's a lot of choice. And if you don't know much about tax, then how do we know which particular person to go to? So what qualities do you think are important? Unfortunately, I think looking for an accountant these days is a... a a little of a minefield because sometimes qualifications don't tell the whole picture sometimes experience doesn't tell the whole picture so my top tip if you're going to choose an accountant is to make an appointment and go and talk to them and put them through their paces ask them all the tricky questions and ask such things as what can you do for me how can you advise me how many landlords do you currently look after and you can get a really good feel as to whether you can work with somebody from that initial interview. So that's my top tip. Take some time to actually get to know your accountant and make sure that it's a good fit for you. And Karen, is that normally a paid for service? So when people have this consultation, would, would landlords be expected to pay for that? Or do you think it's something that people give away for free to entice them into the practice? Most accountants don't charge. We certainly don't at Turl & Co. You can have a free half an hour meeting with me during which I can answer all of your questions and hopefully give some information back as well. So that's, that's a really good time period that you can, you can get to know somebody in. Okay. And when people talk to other accountants, um, you know, when they're looking and they're going through the due diligence process, do you think it's really important to get somebody that just specializes in a certain area like property or does it not really matter? Does all, you know, do all accountants know everything there is about sort of, you know, tax accounts, regardless of whether it's property or small business? The answer to that simply is no, not all accountants are created equal. So you will have some accountants that specialize in particular areas. Here we, we concentrated on the smaller companies and landlords. 
and we also specialise in tax. There are some accountancy practices that won't deal with capital gains tax, for example, mm. and therefore a landlord, that may be one of the questions a landlord would want to ask. What is your experience with capital gains? Can you help me with tax planning? Is that something you do? Because a lot of accountants can, for example, prepare a statement of letting income. So you can declare your letting income at the end of the year. But when you come to buy or sell property, they might have to refer you on. So I think you need to know that all of the services that you're going to require are offered in-house. And how important is location? Do you think that your accountant needs to be in the location you are, or is that just irrelevant, Karen? It's becoming more and more irrelevant. So here we have a paperless system whereby our clients are given an online secure portal through which we can upload various things like tax returns and account statements so that they can be viewed and even signed online. And this is a really good move forward. The accountancy profession is changing now dramatically, just like other sectors are, and we're having to move with technology. So now we can have clients that are anywhere within the UK and not just local. Right, so we can contact you online, send returns and stuff. I'm presuming that you link in with zero and all the other usual uh, property, not property, as in property then, but tax platforms. Yes, yes, we do. We, we handle all of the usual ones and we're SAGE certified, so we tend to specialise in SAGE, but we can also deal with QuickBooks, Zero, and whatever the client prefers to work with. Okay. And Karen, you say on your LinkedIn profile that you wanted to create an extraordinary accountancy practice. What does that mean? What's extraordinary? What sort of standards do you set for yourself? We set extremely high standards here, both in the quality of our work, the quality of our advice, and the quality of our relationship with the client. So to me, it isn't enough just to produce a statement of letting or a set of accounts once a year and leave it like that. We are quite proactive with our clients. So for example, if I hear of a grant that's available nationwide or through, through the European funds, I will let all of my clients know that so they have access to apply for it if they wish. We also do some social media marketing for our clients, which is free. Um, so, for example, if we had a client that said, well, I'm, I'm looking for tenants, can you help me with that? Then we can post that across our social media channel. Oh, you're um, going to get loads of calls on that now. I'm looking for tenants, by the way, so maybe we can have a chat later. Absolutely. All we would need, we only do it for clients. I would stress that, Rick. All right, but okay. For, for our clients, if um, we are sent a photograph and small details of what they like, we will repost that. And we are on all of the usual social media channels. Because why wouldn't we do that? That takes us minutes. It helps our clients and it cements our relationship with the clients. It's interesting, Karen, that you use social media in order to help your clients as well, you know, from a tax perspective. How important do you think social media is in business? It depends, I think, what market you're in, but it's becoming increasingly important. Facebook has a certain audience, mm. and if you need to connect with that audience, then, then you should have a presence there. Um, Twitter is, tends to be more for business users, 
and it's good training Twitter because you have to be very concise with the words that you use. And then you've got LinkedIn, of course, which is great for forging relationships with other business people. I call it Facebook for business. And then you've got things like Instagram, which is where you're going to find your younger audience, perhaps your, your future tenants or student lets there. So it's all different social medias have different places. And if you utilize all of them, then you're spreading your net that little bit wider. Mm, interesting. Lots of people that we talk to and we network with, you know, first of all, they don't like networking full stop. That's okay. We're all different. You know, some people are introvert and some people are extrovert. But I think certainly networking is vitally important for any small business. And if you don't like going out, meeting people face to face, you know, you've, you've seen it, Karen, you go to networking yeah. meetings and you've got the person that's got their phone and then look, don't look at me, don't look me in the eye. And they're really, you know, what's the point, what's the point even going there when you're not going to network? It's called networking, the clues in the title. But for people that don't like to do that, there is a whole social media platform that people can hide behind almost, but still network. Yeah. I found networking online is, um, you know, we've got a very large online presence. You know, we've got huge groups. Um, one of my Facebook groups has got nearly, what, 14,000 people in it. And, and they're all active landlords, and many of which are listening to the podcast. But it's still networking. And I think you're right. You know, there are very different demographics for each platform now. And whereas before, you know, 10, 11 years ago, we only really had Facebook. And then all of a sudden, Twitter came along and started to take the market and now Instagram. And I think, you know, people are filtering themselves into those different categories. And I agree with you, Karen. I think Facebook is, um, is becoming a very different platform than it used to be 10 years ago when it first started. Yeah. And I think certainly now Instagram is, um, is eye catching. I think Instagram is the, the place that, you know, potentially our future customers are hanging out. Definitely. Yes, yes. I think you get a younger age group on Instagram. And if that's your target market, or if you're looking for tenants of a certain age, that's where you need to be, because mm. it's a good place to grab people's attention and, and pull them into what you do. And you're right, networking is different for all of us. And it's still important to do it. No business, whether you're a landlord or a small company exists in a bubble. Absolutely. And if you do, then you're going to be taken out of the game very quickly. Absolutely. Because there's going to be somebody else that's going to come out and step into those shoes. And I've seen that so much. Um, I mean, do you think, we're slightly off topic here, but do you think that social media platforms now have literally just become ad slinging platforms? Do you think that people still get value from them? I think, again, it depends how you use it. There are certainly far, far more paid adverts on social media than there ever used to be. So you need to check your settings, depending on which platform you're using, to see what, what you're filtering. But having said that, I think if you're maintaining contact with people that you otherwise wouldn't have contact with, say friends in, or family in Europe or the rest of the world, then it's still a good platform to use. And in terms of business, the analytics that you can use now to drill down into the audience that you want to target are becoming exceptional. So you can really, particularly with Facebook, I found you can really drill down into who you want to view your advert. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Some sage advice there. So back onto tax planning, Karen, then. So lots of people 
generally try and do things the wrong way around. Maybe that's because of ignorance, politely, because they don't know how to do it. And very often we see people that have um, forged their business and they're starting to grow and they haven't really taken any tax advice and done any tax planning and they now are trying to unravel all of the mess. So when is the best time to organize your tax planning, to organize your company setup? This might sound obvious to some people, but it's at the beginning, Rick, because I see so many people, for instance, with property that have said, or been sent from a solicitor, even worse, I've just sold a property. Have you? Yes. Do you know it's subject to capital gains tax? No. What's that? Mm. Now, if they'd have come to me beforehand, when they were either buying the property or when they were even thinking of selling it, we could have perhaps had the opportunity to do some tax planning. Once you've sold it, it's still done too late and you have to pick up the pieces then. And I see it with businesses too, where I'm saying, if only you'd come to me earlier, we could have thought this through and come up with a plan and now it's just too late. So I think the best time to see your accountant is when you are starting up or when you're just finding your feet and say to the accountant, perhaps in that initial free meeting, what do I need to be thinking about? What do I need to be doing? Yeah, and I think very often people don't do that. And I think it is down to ignorance. I mean, I know that we've purchased houses before of people that have come to me about six months later and said, you know what, I didn't actually make any money out of that deal because I didn't take into consideration all of my capital gains tax. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sorry about that, but we can't give you tax advice as well. You know, that's something that you need to do. Despite telling everyone they need to get independent tax advice they still didn't do it we're going to touch on the capital gains issues in a second um but before we do that i wanted to ask you this question so i know that i'm, I'm married to an accountant as you know although she doesn't practice anymore and i know that doing somebody's tax accounts is probably very often a thankless tasks and i know that perhaps a lot of people will come at you you know on a regular basis challenging you to get their tax bill down does that happen and and how do you keep yourself focused when people are coming at you all of the time <laughs> actually it doesn't happen to to us very often if at all because we have very strong relationships with our clients we try to speak in plain english so an unexpected tax bill is something that should not happen you should be prepared and have a handle on what your likely liability is going to be so that you can plan for it. Worst case scenario is that you leave it to the very last minute, you're close to deadline, you're then hit with the bill and you think, whoa. So my advice to all of our clients is to think ahead and try and plan. So I think usually our, our clients are quite delighted, which is a good position for us to be in. Karen, for those that don't plan and all of a sudden get a whacking great bill, um, is there, are there ways that HMRC allow people to do payment plans or is it, is it just something that you're going to have to sort out? Well, it's, it's changing all of the time. At one point, HMRC did employ a debt recovery group, which was an absolute disaster, both for them in terms of the PR and also for the amount of money that was actually collected in. So I would say if you're in financial difficulty with your tax bill, 
bring HMRC and be open and honest with them. Because if you, at the end of the day, if you don't have it, they can't collect it. They would much rather you ring ahead of time and say, look, I need to make an arrangement to pay. And as you know, in business, if you're actually paying somebody a set amount every month, then the person that you owe money to is likely to be content with that. Mm. We do that in all of our businesses. So we pay HMRC directly for VAT and for corporation tax. So we don't get that huge bill or that huge surprise. Um, We know that at least we've got a big chunk of it ready to go. And I think that's really good advice for anyone that's listening. So, you know, it's taxes there. It's a, it's a fact of life. We've got to pay it. And I don't think, Karen, I don't know what you think. I mean, obviously you make a living out of this, but I think tax is a good thing because the more we earn, then the more we pay. So, you know, isn't it sort of, um, doesn't, doesn't it mirror the fact that we're successful if we're paying a lot of tax? Yes, absolutely. I can remember saying to one client many years ago who was saying, I can't possibly pay this tax. I haven't earned this money. And I said to him, look, this large sum of money is sitting in your bank account. But I tell you what, if you don't want it, I'd quite happily have it and pay the tax for you. <laughs> so, If you are paying tax, it means that you are making a profit and making a profit is good because that's what we're all about in business. Whether we're a landlord, a company or a one man band, we are all about making a profit. If year after year you are not paying any tax, you're probably doing something wrong. Yeah, your business isn't growing substantially enough. And I think, yeah, it is about making a profit. You know, we are in business. We are helping other people solve their problems as you are. And if we solve people's problems, everybody gets rewarded, right? Yes, absolutely. So you mentioned um, PR and HMRC. Now, I don't think I've ever had those two words in the same (laughs) sentence together. (laughs) So either HMRC, um, their PR bill must be massive or they're clearly just, you know, not spending enough. Uh, What what are they doing about, I mean, you know, we all take the mick out of HMRC. They've got a job to do. I get that. Um, But, you know, very often they're seen as the enemy. Um, Are they got a massive PR budget now? Are Are they changing things? Are things different than they used to be? Well, I can't comment on their PR budget, but my inkling would be that it is very, very low. (laughs) Uh, However, the way that they work has changed substantially over the last five years or so, particularly with making tax digital, where they're now actually actively collaborating with companies to work with them to create new products and new ways of working, whereas previously they were very much a closed book. So their whole approach to talking and communicating has changed. And at the end of the day, the people working in HMRC are just people. So if you can forge good relationships with them, that bodes well for you. Are they approachable, Karen? You know, somebody is wanting a a single point of contact. Can you just pick the phone up and talk to somebody? Or is it going to be a case of diverted to another department, etc., and they never get back to you? What's your experience? Unfortunately for most people, when you ring in on the general inquiries number, you will go through to a call centre and they will have set answers that they give you. Top tip here is don't listen or take stock by the answers that they give you, because unless you have an opinion in writing, it Mm. will not count in the case of tax investigation. Yeah. So if somebody, if you ring HMRC, you get through to a call centre and they tell you something that is later proved wrong, 
you cannot prove that they said that one way or another. Mm. So if you're, if you're looking for advice and you're, you're relying on something said to you on the telephone, then ask them to put it in writing. And what's the chances of that happening? Are they prepared to do that in your experience? Well, yes, they will do it. It's part of their service that they will give a written opinion. You may have to keep on a little bit, but it can happen. I mean, as an agent, I deal directly with HMRC through a different channel. So I bypass the call centre, but I have heard some horror stories. So you need to go careful. You cannot rely on what's been told to you on the telephone. Mm. Okay, excellent. Back into the landlord arena. Now, there's been absolutely loads of changes in the PRS, the private rental sector, over the last five years or so, um, with legislation for um, uh, the Housing Act and you know, houses in multiple occupation and all sorts of different things. It's kind of squeezing the private rental sector. And of course, we've seen some huge changes in terms of tax for landlords as well over the last few years. So we've seen things like the... Um, Clause 24, mortgage interest rate relief, the wear and tear allowance and the treatment of white goods, uh, uh, to name but a few. And that's, you know, that is affecting quite a lot of people. So for those that don't know what the Clause 24 is, um, that's, uh, I think it's in its final year now, where landlords as sole traders are no longer able to claim their interest rate or their interest relief back against their tax. It's now seen as profit. And that's going to push a lot of people out of the sector, Karen. It's going to take away that small amount of profit that they perhaps did have before, and now their motivation levels are going to move. So that's just one element. I mean, what's coming for property taxation? Is it going to continue? What do you think? Well, I think, like you said, Rick, we've had some substantial changes that have hit landlords or will hit landlords very hard and April 2020 is the big one when a lot of these things come into force and I'm not quite sure why the current government is on the course that it's on I don't know whether there's a hidden agenda somewhere but landlords are almost being squeezed out of the market private landlords that is particularly so with mortgage interest relief what's happening there is that being phased out entirely so by April 2020, it will be replaced with a basic rate tax allowance. Now, what that effectively means is that you have to declare more as income. So more people are then being pushed into the higher rate tax bracket and then only seeing relief on their mortgage interest at capped at the 20%. Mm -hmm. So that's just one problem. We've got wear and tear allowance that's been removed. Um, we've got the replacement of domestic items relief, which can be seen as limiting in some cases. And then on top of that, we've got quite sweeping changes to capital gains tax. And all of these are hitting private landlords very hard. I would say anybody listening to this that's going to be affected by these changes the time to get advice is now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very much so. I'm going to touch on a little bit on the Clause 24, just very quickly. Is it worth private landlords um, now, if they've got large portfolios that they've bought back in the 80s and the 90s when people were buying houses back to back, yeah. getting big portfolios really quickly, how hard is it and is it worth them incorporating that now and moving over to a limited company? Is it something that is viable? 
Well, again, the answer is it depends. Yes, that would be one way where you can claim your full relief, but there are problems with transferring the property from your name into a company name because the company is a separate legal entity. So you might well have tax issues on that. You also will need to convert your mortgages and have the mortgage in the name of the company. There are various ways around all these things, but it is not straightforward. You can't just waltz into your account and say, I'd like to be a limited company from tomorrow, please. It takes a lot of planning and time, and it, it can be tricky. But if you're a new landlord, it's a lot easier. You can incorporate and put your, your properties into the company one by one as you go on so i think if the cost outweighs the benefit and i'm and i've kind of got this mindset karen please tell me if i'm wrong but you know even if you're a limited company and of course you've got your corporation tax to pay but unless you keep the money in the bank and you never take it out then there's no benefit surely because if you take that money out you're going to get your own tax as well as well as the corporation tax you're going to have to pay whilst it's in there unless you're taking it out on dividends but if you're going to remove that cash at some point you're gonna have to pay tax oh exactly exactly and taking money out of a company also requires tax planning now if you've invested into a company you've got a director's loan you can draw down on that tax-free but otherwise you're looking at taking money out through either salary or dividend and both of those now are taxable on the individual so it becomes very tricky getting the money back out of a company so this is why you have to weigh up whether the benefits of a company are actually worth what you're going to be losing in your mortgage interest relief. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, um, thank you for you know, just clarifying that. And that's exactly my thoughts. So it's not always going to be beneficial, folks, but this is so important that you do take the right tax planning advice before you do any of that. Um, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about trusts and things, Karen, because that is going to be really tax beneficial, but perhaps that's for another podcast. Um, but you know, it's something that people have got loads of money. It might be something that they could consider is starting a trust um, and maybe doing some really good fine-tuning with their tax planning so we touched on capital gains so can we just talk a little bit about the capital gains issue so for those that don't know what is capital gains and what are the current reliefs available well capital gains tax is really a tax on investments that's that's a good way to look at it so if you are selling an asset that you have made a gain on, in other words, you're selling it for more than you bought it for, then you are going to be subject to capital gains tax. Now there's a tax-free amount for each individual every year, which is currently 12,000 pounds a year. But after that, you are going to pay capital gains tax. And it's taxed at what we call top slice. In other words, if you are still a basic rate taxpayer including the gain you will pay tax at 18 percent but if you are a higher rate taxpayer you will pay at 28 percent which can be quite a significant sum so that's what capital gains tax is and particularly with property if it's a rental property and you are selling that property you will be subject to capital gains tax so what if you used to live in the property karen is there any relief available for people that it was their main home for a period of time? 
Yes, Ruth, there's been a number of reliefs, but this is where there are some quite sweeping changes coming in from April 2020, which people really need to know about and understand now. So talking basically, if you own a home and you live in it, you are subject to principal private residence relief. In other words, you will never pay tax on your own home. However, if you move out of that home and you then decide you're going to rent it, that becomes um, income and an accrual on an asset. Now, up until 2020, you can claim lettings relief for the period that you are letting what was once your home. But that is going to stop. So all of the people that have had a property and particularly this will affect couples who have had a house each have got together and one person has moved into the other person's home and they've decided to keep on the other property and let it for example those people now are likely to be faced with a capital gains tax bill whereas previously they wouldn't have it's been estimated that this is going to cost people in, on an average £13,000 worth of tax that they wouldn't otherwise have paid. Not only that, but there is a final exemption term on capital gains tax. And years ago, when I started practicing, it was 36 months, three years. And a lot of people have got this three years locked into their head. And we'll often say, for example, oh, well, I can keep a property for three years and it's all tax free, isn't it? Well, no. Some time ago, that was reduced to 18 months. And from April 2020, it will be just nine months. Mm. So you have, if you own a second property that you once lived in, you will have nine months to sell that property. So it becomes it becomes quite quite tricky with the abolishment of lettings relief and the diminishment of the final exemption period people are going to be subject to tax that otherwise would not have been and this is going to catch a lot of people out because people have this perception and say well it was my home why am i paying tax well, the reason is because it is no longer your home. You are living somewhere else. You have a second property and therefore you will pay tax. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a political um, conversation, but it just seems to me that the government are just trying to stop people from being entrepreneurial, stop people from starting small businesses. I know that we just talked about accidental landlords, but even so, that's how lots of people start. That's how I started. And it just gets harder and harder for people to, and you know, there's so much legislation now than there ever used to be, which is going to be off-putting from the start and i know that i mean this isn't really a tax question but private landlords kind of get this um this stigma and it's created from the press giving bad spins on us saying that we're gobbling up the housing market and you know we're fat cat landlords but very often you know we take property and we create more opportunity from that one property than it would have been if we'd left it alone as a single let so i don't know i mean that's just me venting really karen it's not really a question there but i mean it'd be interesting to see if we do have a change in government again you know what changes are afoot and i think for you yeah. 
um, as you know, as an accountant, it must be so hard because every time that we have a budget, every time there's a change, you've got to change all the way that you do everything, haven't you? Well, yes, you have. And I may be an accountant, but I'm also a business person and I have also been a landlord. I've owned property that I've let and I've also owned property that I've renovated and sold on. So I have been in the same position that a lot of people are now. And you really need to think this through. I, interestingly, um, when we talk about politics, I saw a recent poll that said that previously 73% of landlords had voted conservative and estimates now say that's down to 6%. So I think the current government have hit private landlords so hard that they are really going to be feeling the effects. And my hope is that we, if we have a change of government, that they will look again at this legislation because it will hit a lot of people that I don't think it's been intended to hit. Mm. And also with the changes, the legal changes that are coming in, which I can't comment on, but I'm aware of, it's becoming almost unattractive to be a landlord. And as you said, on top of that, there's a lot of bad press going, going with it. So what are the incentives now? And I think the government now and future governments really need to look at this. Because if all landlords suddenly said, well, okay, I'm going to sell up, where would that leave the rental market? Well, it would be on its knees, you know, and you're absolutely right with the legislation. Now, I'm all for regulation. And I think certain elements of the legislation changes that have come into the PRS are for the right reasons and that's to squeeze the rogue landlords out there and you're going to get rogue landlords you're going to get rogue people in every industry in your industry i'm an ex-police officer i know people that are being police officers and they're in prison it happens throughout the whole of the world so i understand that um, but I would say that 80% of you know, people are out there are good and honest people. And I think with all of the legislation changes, um, we can adapt. That's okay. It might come at a small cost to begin with, but we're future-proofing a business. And it's all about the safety and the comfort of the tenants. But in terms of tax and taking away and just keep you know, salami slicing that business into the point where there's nothing left... I really don't think they can do anymore. I mean, what's on the horizon, Karen? Have you heard anything? Do you know of any other changes that are about to happen? Well, I think we've discussed most of the main changes that I'm certainly aware of. I think that's possibly enough, Rick. I don't think mm. that landlords could cope with any yeah, more. There's nothing uh, left. But that makes me wonder, you know, um, again, politics. Uh, but if we do have a change of government and you see the manifestos and, um, and policies of other parties, I can't see anything that um, is, is particularly attractive, to be honest with you. Well, no, I agree. But I would hope that a future government might at least reconsider lettings relief or look at the final period relief for property. Because imagine, for instance, um, a couple that do get together. They have a property each. Um, they get married. So therefore, they can only count one property as their home. And then the second property, they can't sell it. So if they can't sell it for a period of time, that becomes subject to capital gains tax. And although they'll only pay a gain on the, on the portion that they weren't living in it, you know, that to me is not right. Mm. And how long do they get, Karen, to pay the capital gains bill? 
Well, it falls within the tax year. So if you've made a gain in that year, then it's declared and you pay it along with any income tax or other taxes that you are due to pay. Moving forwards, I don't want to get too much into politics. You know, you and I could talk politics all day long. And we've all, <laughs> it's such an emotive subject, isn't it, at the moment? Certainly right now. But hey, yeah. it's about tax. So um, I know that you have an accountancy software package um, and you're a director of that. So tell us a little bit about that and what's it called? It's called Doddle. And I started working with HMRC back in 2015 when I think the Chancellor at the time announced the start of making tax digital. And I felt that there wasn't a software out there that was designed specifically to be easy for the end user. A lot of the bigger software accountancy and bookkeeping packages are sold through accountants. So there is almost um, a disincentive to make it simple for the end user and I wanted something that didn't require you to have a degree in accountancy whereby you could enter your sales and expenses um, your letting income for example and your property expenses and it was intuitive and self-led it was in plain English and it limited the amount of mistakes that you could make so that's why I created Doddle and we have a free version and we have a paid version and it, it sits there quite happily with, with the other things that I do. How hard was it, Karen? I mean, I know, I mean, I, I've, I own a tech company. I've got a company called GoTenant. Um, and I know how hard it is from concept to get coded, to work with partners, to release mm. it into the market. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I know it's very difficult, and especially in a market that... Um, is ever growing because there is lots of competition out there for this kind of thing. So how do you put yourself out there in front of all the others? It's been a huge learning curve, Rick, I have to say that. And at times I've been sat in conferences with HMRC alongside Sage and QuickBooks and Zero. And I'm sat there just as me. And they're saying, well, can you send a team up? Can you send us? And I said, well, this is the team. <laughs> you are looking at it. Mm. Um, the advantage with that that I have over the others is that I can give a decision very quickly because I'm, I'm just the owner, uh, owner-centric business, if you, if you want the jargon. I can decide things quickly whereas the other larger companies have to go back put it before board um you know go through the channels and the processes to reach a decision i can just say yes or no on the spot so that is something that hmrc quite like that they get quite a responsive relationship um but it, it is it is difficult and challenging um but at the end of the day i have a live product and i'm extremely proud of it yeah, and you should be, because I know how hard it is to do this kind of thing. We were encoding for two years. We were beta testing for nine months. Um, you know, and it's hard because there is a lot of competition out there. You've got to have that USP. Um, so awesome. So that's called Doddle. And how can people get hold of that, Karen, if they're interested in taking a, uh, a quick tour? You can find it on our website, which is www.dod-dle.co.uk. So it's just awesome. doddle, doddle with a hyphen in the middle. And is it a doddle? Yes, hence the name. <laughs> hence the name, awesome, <laughs> awesome. And I know you do a little bit of public speaking as well. Um, first question is, why? And second question is, when you started, 
I know that pushes a lot of people out of their comfort zone. How did you find it? How much have you grown since you began? Well, this is a whole story in itself, but very briefly at the time, I was being asked by a marketing company that I'd engaged to go and do some talks. And they booked me for quite a prestigious event in Birmingham, speaking alongside the keynote speaker. And I said, no. And they said, well, what do you mean? No, you have to go, Karen. This would be very, very good for the business. And I said, I can't speak. So I thought, I really have to do something about this because it is limiting the exposure that my company can have. So I joined a group called Toastmasters. They're a charitable organization. And I went along to my local group and I said, I can't speak publicly. And they said, you will. And I was convinced that it wouldn't work. But it is a very friendly, um, very well-honed program. And within two years, I was taking part in international speaking competitions. So now I'm confident enough I can speak up in front of a room full of people. And I actually enjoy it now, Rick, which I didn't think I would ever say. So if you have a problem public speaking, I would say go and rock up at your local Toastmasters club and say, look, you know, I don't know if I can do this, but you will be welcomed with open arms and most clubs have cake and you know what karen i haven't counted any ums at all in this podcast <laughs> not, i've got my um counter next to me and i can't i haven't really but no it comes across and you do know the people that have had a little bit of training in public speaking and i think it's awesome for people to get out there stand up in front of a group of people they don't know and just talk about stuff and i think it's really inspiring so massive kudos to you as well for that karen this has been really interesting and i think we could talk forever about tax, about the way that the country's being run, um, and you know, and about, I just did a num. See, I, I've, I've counted a num for myself there now as well. So <laughs> I don't go to Toastmasters. How can people contact you, Karen, if they want some more advice or if they're interested in your software or anything else that they kind of been inspired by you from listening to this podcast? There are lots of ways you can reach out to us. So our telephone number, for example, is 01684-438-338. We're online, our website, www.turlandco.co.uk. And you can also find us on social media as Turl and Co. Send us a message through there. Awesome. Karen, I want to thank you so much. I'm sure the listeners, we're going to get absolute massive value from this, as I will. And I'm going to listen to it again as well. Because as I said, tax isn't my thing. That's why I employ other people to do it for us. And that's a great thing in business, folks. You don't have to do everything. Remember the, the famous words from Henry Ford, ask me any question about my business and I will find somebody that will tell you the answer. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, Rick. Thank you.